You're listening to Semper Reform on the Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is applied to all of life. There are many people who do not want to hear the truth because it will shake up the false hope they have that they're going into heaven when indeed they are not. Christ is our King. Scripture is our law. Scripture and the laws of our country now collide head on. Now, just to make it clear, we don't bow down to Caesar. So what does Paul do when he gets his big shot at the Areopagus? Watch him. Now, not only has Paul not compromised in order to get here, but once he's here, he says, your worldview is wrong, your philosophy is wrong, it's not just wrong, it's an affront to God, you ought to know better, you're in sin. But the good news is, God has extended to you an opportunity to repent. To Semper Reformanda Radio, my name is Tim, and I am with my other two co-hosts today, Carlos Montijo and Joseph Rios, and uh, we are part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. There's a number of other podcasts on there to check out, and uh, also, like I said last week, um, create a profile account on the Bible Thumping Wingnut uh, webpage and friend request us, and then you can also join the podcasts that you like you can join their group and then you can get uh, email updates with whatever they've got going on so we were going to have gary edwards here today but we we had to fire him no, i'm just kidding gary we we love you but uh gary had some some uh, family stuff come up and he wasn't able to meet with us and the reason that i, I really wanted to have gary on was um uh, just to give a little bit of a balance, I know that Colleen Sharp from Theology Gals is going to be disappointed. She's going to feel like her view wasn't represented. <laughs> so, Colleen, I'm sorry about that. Uh, it's Gary's fault. He's not here. Um, but uh, and then uh, you know we, we've got Joseph, and I think he takes a more of a of a view with. Um, as a matter of fact, hey Joseph, is that the train in the background with with you or? That is with me. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm going to myself right now. <laughs> Joseph's catching a train. Uh, but anyways, uh, just, just to talk about the different perspectives, but in the end, we are going to end up giving our perspective. This is uh, Semper Reformanda Radio, and, uh, and we're going to... Uh, we're going to end with that. And so we are disappointed that Gary wasn't able to be here with us uh, today. And uh, hopefully, I mean, uh, we, we really appreciate Gary. Um, I don't know if we see eye to eye on everything, but he is he is one smart guy, and he definitely is, uh, has challenged us uh, in, in some of the things that, that we, we thought. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, last week uh, or the week before, Carlos said that if you disagree with him, then you're, you're probably wrong, and then Gary disagreed with him, and then Carlos uh, ended up apologizing for – uh, causing some confusion there. So he's he's sharp. He really is, and uh, and we we do appreciate him. 
But today, the discussion is, is primarily going to be led by Carlos Montijo, our, our, our co-host. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. He really put in a lot of the work this week to, to actually read uh, John MacArthur's books. Uh, and I, I honestly have not read them yet. So um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm qualified to talk on the things that I believe, but when it comes to actually uh, reading the book and giving a comprehensive overview of it, uh, I'm not there yet. And, uh, and then Joseph is, is extremely familiar with uh, John MacArthur. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, give you a chance to say hello, but I wanted to ask you guys if you guys were able to catch in the Shepherds Conference that just happened. Uh, so no, I hadn't. I hadn't watched any. Actually, I, I caught the, a little bit of the last uh, session with MacArthur teaching, but um, but other than that, not so much. A little bit of the news of the, the AHA stuff being there, and I'm pretty close friends with a lot of people that were there, but but didn't get to watch many of the sermons yet, or even the Q and A's. What about you, Carlos? Did you uh, were you able to catch any of it? Uh, yes and no. Uh, no, not the new one, but yes, uh, previous ones. So. Oh. I was looking at the, I was looking at the old ones because, you know, the technology devil is always out to get me, and I can't really watch live stream stuff because it's just it doesn't work at our house. So, um, I did watch some previous messages that were pretty interesting. One of them, um, I was trying to find relevant stuff to, that was relevant for the lordship stuff, and I did find something that. Uh, actually, Brother Gary had touched on about MacArthur's experience with meeting, uh, I think it was Zane Hodges, and how he had he had run into uh, some, he, one of his friends, I guess, uh, was backsliding or falling away, and and so I guess MacArthur kind of thought that that might have been the reason why he came up with this view of no lordship or whatever. Um, but other than that, yeah, I did listen to some of MacArthur's messages. One of them was also very, very uh, interesting in revealing his, it really revealed his bias for, or preference for uh, biblical theology over systematic theology. It was actually really funny because the the whole discussion was about like, what systematic theologies do you, you know, do you like, or how do you go about studying that or something like that. And MacArthur basically said that he doesn't really he doesn't really read systematic theologies and you can tell he just kind of he, he made it all about commentaries and about um he in his biography too he says how he likes to judge the he likes to judge a, a theologian by how he handles the text and it's like yeah you know it's really funny but the the you can really judge a theologian by the way he systematizes his doctrine so i mean um that's something that um we're definitely going to get into more uh with one of the one of the things about I guess one of MacArthur's biases that I think uh, has really, um, if he had, if he had a better balance between that, I think he, his ministry would have a lot more um, impact in a positive way. But um, I digress. Yeah, and that's not to say that his his ministry hasn't had a tremendous impact. Um, but l- let me let me go ahead and do this. Let me back up a little bit because I want to address really what's going on with uh, Facebook. And it's funny because my wife asked me this week she's she you know said why is it that whenever you guys you know put out your episode a lot of times you guys are the ones that are creating firestorms and i was like well i mean that happened with conversations from the porch and when we criticized uh, new covenant theology and that was sort of to be expected but 
when we took on this lordship salvation stuff with uh, Peter Christian, which, by the way, I don't even think that Peter Christian, uh, that, that that's his real last name. And uh, Gary informed me today that he has a um, he has he has two Facebook accounts. So I don't know really what I, I, I think Christian is probably a pseudo name for him. I, I, I really don't know. And uh, I haven't really we've had no interaction with him, but. Uh, you know, when we started talking to him, I just thought it'd be interesting since he was calling John MacArthur and Steve Lawson and Paul Washer heretics just to have him on and talk about it. I had no idea that so many people were going to get wrapped up in this uh, Lordship Salvation controversy discussion. And the the comments that went back and forth on one of the posts, it was pretty surprising. I think there were over 400 comments uh, at one point. And I'm just going to let everybody know. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to to read comments, to really interact with uh, stuff on Facebook um, as much. I know Joseph has been uh, he he's been interacting with a lot of the comments on there, and and I saw Joseph and Gary going back and forth. But um, one of the things that I, I want to encourage our listeners, I want to encourage people out there with is. Our goal at Semper Reformanda Radio is to interact in a way with others who disagree with us that really reflects a, a genuine love and care for the other person. And what I don't want is for people to uh, be mar- marginalized or attacked or, or anything like that. And I, there were people who I think were getting upset. And the the whole purpose of us bringing Gary on if you if you look at the comment that Gary left on on the website actually underneath i think the first episode i mean he explained it but if you if you read the comment it it sounded harsh it sounded like you know he was saying like this was the worst podcast or debate you know or you know something to that effect and you can't always tell what the other person you, you know you can't you can't gauge tone of voice you can't gauge you're very limited in in how you can perceive the other person and, and how they're interacting. And so my encouragement is, look, we we love John MacArthur. We think extremely highly of John MacArthur. He is he is a, a tremendous brother in the Lord. He has done a lot for the for the faith, for the church. We are going to disagree with John MacArthur, especially Carlos and I, probably more so than Joseph. We are going to disagree with him, and and we are going to basically say that that some of the things that he says we think are wrong. Now we're we're making an argument, and people are are encouraged and invited to counter our arguments with their own arguments, or to say, hey, this is why we think that you know MacArthur's right in, in what he says, or or whatever. So I, I want that to be at, at the forefront of everybody's mind. We, we love MacArthur. We think extremely highly of MacArthur. Uh, this is not an attack on him. You don't need to get upset uh, if, if somebody says something that, that you disagree with, with MacArthur. Nobody here is calling him a heretic. Nobody here is trying to diminish his, uh, his ministry. And uh, do you guys have anything to add to everything that I just said? I, I went into like a seven minute little explanation on that. But what are your guys' thoughts? Well, I mean, that, you know, we're for two things. One, um, 
uh, we're, we're, we're still, we're still learning. We're still looking at everything and we have nobody here has arrived. Right. So nobody here is coming with the, uh, the full knowledge uh, to, to take him apart and say that, you know, with absolute certainty, he's, he's in that way, misrepresenting God. And, and he's, and, and it's a horrible thing. Nobody's saying that. Um, and even on the flip side of that, um, he didn't get to, uh, to where he is today, having all the opinions he has today, having always had them. Um, so the, uh, it's, it's a process. I think it's just, it's good to, uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One, to, um, you know, thoughts and, and, and uh, with each other and work through them, um, as I'm sure he had contemporaries of his time as he was working through things to get to where he is today. Um, this is this is a process and it's iron, iron sharpening iron. Um, thankfully, he's put a lot of things out there for us to sharpen ourselves off on without him uh, being present, as I'm sure he's a really busy man. Just a couple of things to say, and then we can get the ball rolling. Um, yeah, I don't really think a lot of these, um, <clears throat> endless back and forths on Facebook that I've been seeing, I don't think they, I don't think they, they're really that productive. I think it's more productive when, if we really have something substantial to say, I think it's better to save it for a blog post, an article, something that is a lot more, um, that could be a lot more useful in the long run because it, it's just there on Facebook and people will say stuff and they'll just leave it at that. And then just kind of, nobody really refers back to that. And it doesn't really, um, and, th and people do get upset and things like that. So I think it's, um, we still, we're still going to definitely have to lay the smack down on this whole Facebook thing. But the other thing was, um, and we, that's not to say we don't like interaction. I mean, um, we appreciate people emailing us. We received uh, some more emails again about this lordship stuff it's getting a, a lot of attention more than i thought as well and uh uh but we just don't again like the going back to this whole cyber turd thing right i mean that's what i just can't stand and a lot of times this kind of uh, uh this kind of th these kinds of environments of where there's a lot of uh controversy and things like that that tends to foster uh foolish activity so I guess, and Facebook is just not the best platform for, for, for uh, sorting out controversial issues like that. It really isn't. Uh, but, w but we do appreciate your interaction. Uh, we, I mean, if you have a sincere question, if you really want to just want to know more about if we, if you don't think we were clear about something or whatever, that's fine. We can, um, we'd be more than happy to uh, uh, go back and forth with you. Just not, I, personally, I don't like doing that, you know, long back and forth stuff, but uh, on a public post like that, but but anyway, um, I I actually wanted to start off the episode with uh, a little bit of my my backstory from from when I was a relatively new believer, and you know, oh, and before I say that, uh, brother Gary did say he did ask us to keep him in prayer to hopefully resolve some family dispute or something like that. So just keep that in mind. That's why he couldn't make it. Um, so we're keeping him in prayer and uh, hopefully he'll be able to join us next time we talk about the Lordship stuff. Um, but um, we, I guess the, the topics that I had planned for today are mainly assurance and uh, repentance and assurance and maybe uh, get into rewards if we have time. And uh, But I wanted to give a little bit of backstory about how when I was a King James onlyist, uh, because I was looking at a, a very... Uh, very a, a website that was very uh, sharply 
promoting that uh, Jesus is Savior dot com, I think it was. And um, this website, it's funny because when I first heard about Paul Washer, and I'm saying this because it kind of relates to Peter Christian and how in his view, um, when my wife first introduced me to Paul, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she introduced me to Paul Washer. And I basically I would run everything through this website to see if it was, you know, if he if he or she or it was legit. So I ended up looking him up on this website and they basically uh, had criticized him for his view of, of the gospel. And it was a very similar criticism that you hear from people like Peter Christian and the no Lordship guys that he was emphasizing a lot of works and things like that. So I basically went back to her and I said, no, this guy's no good. You know, he, he's this, this like, he's very, he's off on this. And so it was funny because when I actually heard the shocking youth message, it completely floored me. Um, I was I was so convicted by that message and I was so um, blessed by it that um, now I'm happy to say that uh, Paul Washer and his ministry is one of the the most uh, the ministries that we that my wife and I have most benefited from. And uh, so you know, the, this stuff is definitely out there. Uh, it's very common to. Um, hear people making these kinds of criticisms and especially in, amongst like fundamentalist type groups with uh this king james onlyism stuff and no lordship stuff you get you tend to get into a lot of imbalances and extremes and uh, when especially when you do not know how to systematize your doctrine and that's why i brought that up about macarthur because i think if he had emphasized systematic theology more in, throughout his ministry i think it would have help to to sort of balance out a lot of the biases and the uh, the positions that i think he he's off on biblically but yeah i just wanted to throw that out there and um oh and it was funny because i also heard a message get, this is actually very much still relevant today um i was not just the other day i was listening on the radio to a, a preacher giving a gospel invitation and uh the invitation he basically said hey you know if you if you've resonated with this and if you feel good about this or if you agree with what i said um then just uh feel free to pray after me and repeat this prayer and and he he once he said the prayer he basically said after that he said um oh well if you prayed that prayer then congratulations you're a christian now and it's like i mean that was the most pathetic thing that i've heard i mean i've heard a lot of dumb stuff you, you hear a lot of trash on the Christian radio, but that was really bad. I mean, that was just absurdly, horrendously pathetic to for a pastor to say that you're a Christian now, not even knowing you, and just saying that you're a Christian now because you recited a prayer after him. So, this that's the decisional gospel that we've been, you know, talking about that Lordship has uh, taken issue with, and that has really damaged American evangelical evangelicalism for decades. Uh, sadly, that's something uh, um, maybe want to punch my computer screen. I was uh, like watching one of the old Kent Hovind debates. And yeah. At the end, and at the end of it, he does that. He basically does, you know, say this prayer now, you know, write the uh, write the date in your Bible. That way, basically, that way nobody can tell you that you're not saved, and uh, and you're saved now, and and just read your Bible, and and uh, you know, it, it's 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 that exact like that was a phenomenon, um, and then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a KJVO also. So, yeah, I I love Ken Hovind. He was he, Doctor Dino. I I watched all his seminars. 
when I was a King James onlyist, and he was, you know, he. It's unfortunate because there's so much ignorance. Uh, there's like a purple haze of ignorance, of spiritual ignorance that's pervaded by these cult-like groups, by spreading so much false information, and it keeps people really ignorant, and just it, it doesn't let you get to the actual truth of the matter. A lot of times when you're caught up in this sort of cult-like mentality and there's levels of extremes i mean not all king james uh only as are are the same um but ken hoven he did i've i have heard him preach a very good gospel message um you know he does have a decisional emphasis he's not reformed he's not a calvinist and so i mean you know and, and you know that's so there's there's a lot of uh not, that's not to say like he's 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 definitely way off on a lot of things like the king james bible and the history of the bible i mean he just he really distorts what you know the textual history about that um which by the way a good source for that is james white um for both of those things actually it was james white who helped me get out of the king james only uh stuff with his king james only controversy so that's a very good i would highly recommend that book for folks who are caught up in that but um i, I and i do want to commend Dr. John MacArthur for his one thing that I've always appreciated about uh, Pastor MacArthur is that he never shies away from controversy. He is not afraid to take a stand and to be bold about it, especially when he feels the gospel is at stake or that the Bible is at stake. Um, this is one of the things that I, I, I've always appreciated throughout, throughout the years. His ministry is marked by that. And he even talks about how surprised he is that most of the battles that he's had to fight have been within church walls. Uh, with other with other so-called Christians and, and professing uh, believers who are trying, and that's what the Bible says, you know, savage wolves, people who are uh, disguising themselves as ministers of righteousness, and they try to infl infiltrate the church and uh, spread uh, heresy from within. But um, I, I, I've always appreciated about that about MacArthur. You see a lot of these other pastors, as they get older, they tend to fall away from the faith. And, and with uh, Pastor MacArthur, that, that definitely does not seem to be the case, um, even though we do have disagreements, and he has aired uh, pretty substantially and pretty seriously on a lot of these issues. Um, he has nevertheless uh, corrected himself and uh, as best as he knows and as he can. So we, I definitely, my hats off to him. Hats off to him for that. And uh, but that being said, I'm almost done with the, the with the gospel according to the apostles, and um, I, I'm really kind of surprised at how many. There's there's some good stuff in there, but honestly, it just seems from from what I was looking at, it, he creates a lot of problems when he's trying to solve this issue about lordship. And um, so, I, I in all honesty, I I really can't recommend that book for people to to even like to to read for for edification. You know, it requires a lot of discernment, I think, for for people to be able to really kind of muddle through some of the confusion that he he still kind of has and pushes on when he's handling certain biblical texts and when he's trying to de to, de to define faith and and a lot of these central doctrines that are um, fundamental to Christianity. Um, but, you know, just the history of this controversy and how much he's had to correct himself. And I think it's just really, it's very easy to get lost and confused in all of the weeds and all of the changes that he's had to make and things like that. So, um, I, I think, you know, it's important to look at the primary sources so that you can get your own perspective on it. And, you know, but I, I, at this point, I kind of view the book as more of a, a, a reference for the just kind of detailing the historical controversy, because unfortunately, yeah, I did. I, I did see kind of a lot of uh, 
things that that kind of alarmed me that uh, startled me concerned me basically and so we're going to address some of those here this a lot of this is also because when you're ignorant of church history and church controversies that that's really a symptom of of a failing and decrepit christianity you know because paul said that there must be heresies among you so that you can know where the line is drawn and where people take the sides and uh, you're able to judge you know who is who's really on god's side and um but this this controversy has gotten very unfortunately i don't think macarthur just did a, a as good a job as uh, I think he could have in defining the proper position and it just it convolutes a lot of stuff so we're gonna try to wade through that and um, But this is really I think a symptom of this is because there's so much ignorance of church history as well um, And this has a lot to a lot to do with you know people who are ignorant of church history and how these matters have been settled before um, especially with uh, we have resources that we can appeal to and MacArthur does try to, he does appeal to them. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't cause he does uh, reference, you know, some of the reformers and, and uh, even the Westminster confession at times. But um, I just think this is a very easy issue to get uh, to, to go wrong on certain things when you try to define some of these uh, pivotal doctrines. But um, the first point that I wanted to touch on is that, um well you know what let me let me read i don't think we properly set this up before so i'm going to read from from the gospel according to the apostles to kind of set the background a little bit and um y'all can go ahead and comment if you wanted to to touch on anything that i said i'm going to find the page Oh, while you're looking that up, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up a little bit and see what uh and just double check on, for example, what uh, R.C. Sproul and somebody some people on the more of the confessionally reformed side of things have to say about it, um, and just so I can possibly balance out my understanding of it. Um, interestingly enough, uh, some of our friends who who hold to more confessionally reformed um, would uh, would say this is where Sproul aired, where he agreed with MacArthur, and so um, and so that's interesting. Um, and I'm kind of curious as to how that'll play itself out, but uh, be checking that out as well. Yeah, yeah, it is important. This is these are very important issues, and um, that that was one of the things that I kind of got frustrated with on Facebook too, because I, I noticed that a lot of people have very strong opinions about this, and they haven't even read any of this stuff for themselves. And I want to make a note of this because MacArthur actually says that um, he doesn't like to do oral debates and um, he doesn't he thinks it's just not helpful and that you can't really get to the heart of the the matter in in a a limited amount of time that way and i mean i disagree with that i think debates are extremely helpful i think they helped a lot in the reformation actually as well in several other contexts i mean paul had no and he does say he actually says that paul that the bible there's no warrant for that in the bible for doing debates but I'm kind of surprised by that because the apostles engaged in debate all the time. I mean, and so did Christ. Christ was a master debater. Um, just look at the confrontations with the Pharisees and things like that. And Paul constantly uh, was discussing and debating people on, on public forums and things like that. So, um, but anyway, he, he does say, and I agree with him about this, that the best way to resolve controversial matters like these is to, is to have a detailed, careful, well-thought-out written dialogue. 
And that's why he wrote the book. He, he wrote the book, you know, the gospel according to Jesus and, and the apostles. He wrote these books to try to provide a definitive answer and to settle the matter on these things. So if you're not aware of these books, if you're not reading them and you're only getting like sermons and piecemeal stuff here and there, um, you're actually kind of going against what MacArthur himself suggests doing. And so I'm just going to keep, you need to keep that in mind because if, if you're, if you want to deal with this stuff and have an opinion about it, you probably should consult these sources because MacArthur himself is telling you, if you want to know what I think about this truly, you need to look at what I wrote because this is how he's trying to settle a controversy. And I, and I agree, the written word does have a uh, more of an authoritative, uh, of, uh, more, carries more weight. And you can see that that's, there's biblical warrant for that. You know, people that when the apostles in Christ, they always said it is written, you know, it is written that it's the written word that has, uh, it carries the weight. And so, um, but uh, anyway, so I'm still trying to find the, I'm trying to find the, uh, where he says, there's a quote in here where he basically says that the heart of the matter is the nature of saving faith. What is the nature of of faith and so and uh, you know a lot of people don't even categorize that the issue properly and he he makes a note of that as well a lot of people don't even realize what the actual issue is at stake um, but I do agree with respect to what he's um, saying there that the issue is the nature of saving faith and all of the immediate doctrines that revolve saving faith such as repentance regeneration um, you know, assurance, sanctification. To some extent, this is such a fundamental doctrine that it, it tends to bleed over everything else. But some those are the more immediate um, cardinal doctrines that are affected by by this. Actually, I just found it. So in uh, chapter two, I think of the Gospel according to the Apostles, it's called the Primer on the Lordship Salvation Controversy. He gives sort of a historical backdrop of of how the controversy developed. And uh, in a section here called the Lordship Controversy is not a dispute about whether salvation is by faith only or by faith plus works. Um, he says, no true Christian would ever suggest that works need to be added to faith in order to secure salvation. No one who properly interprets scripture would ever propose that human effort or fleshly works can be meritorious, worthy of honor or reward from God. The Lordship Controversy is a disagreement over the nature of true faith. Those who want to eliminate Christ's Lordship from the gospel see faith as a simple trust in a set of truths about Christ. Faith, as they describe it, is merely a personal appropriation of the promises of eternal life. Um, so that's basically what he's saying. The That's where he states that the issue is, is uh, that's the heart of the matter, in other words. So um, we're not going to get into faith right now. We're going to probably get into faith next time because we, we kind of want to finish up repentance from since we touched on it last time. But this whole issue of repentance and, you know, when we were going back and forth, uh, explaining was that repentance is a change of mind. Uh, fundamentally, at its most basic level, repentance is a change of mind. Um, anything else after that, I would basically say is an outworking or the fruit of repentance that follows. And that's what the word means, metanoia, right? It means change of mind. So that being said, here's, here's one thing that kind of concerned me about MacArthur because I was a little surprised with what he, he what he described as or what he defined as repentance. So on chapter uh, on a chapter called the necessity of preaching repentance, it's a whole chapter on on repentance. 
on a section called Repentance and the Lordship Debate, he says this, Repentance is no more a meritorious work than its counterpart, faith. It is an inward response. Genuine repentance pleads with, uh, pleads, with, pleads with the Lord to forgive and deliver from the burden of sin and the fear of judgment and hell. It is the attitude of the publican who, fearful of even looking toward heaven, smote his breast and cried, God be versatile to me, uh, the sinner. Repentance is not merely behavior reform, because, but because true repentance involves a change of heart and purpose, it, ined it inevitably, inevitably sorry, results in a change of behavior. So there he's describing repentance as an inward response, right? He is saying that, uh, um, you know, and I don't, I guess I don't, I don't really disagree with what he said there too much. Um, it's not, it's obviously not meritorious. It's a gift from God. You know, the apostle Paul does say that clearly and uh, forget which epistle that if God grant, if, if God perhaps grants them repentance. Uh, so that is also a gift in addition to faith. Um, but when you know on the following page actually or the following then you know two pages he, he talks about repentance again and here's what he says here so but he says uh the section called repentance in the bible he says but neither is repentance a solely intellectual issue surely even judas changed his mind what he didn't do was turn from his sin and throw himself on the Lord for mercy. Repentance is not just a change of mind. It is a change of heart. It is a spiritual turning, a total about face. Repentance in the context of the new birth means turning from sin to the Savior. It is an outward response, not external activity, but its fruit will be evident in the, in the true believer's behavior. Uh, so, you know, just a few pages after he says repentance is an inward response, now he's saying it's an outward response. And then he says that, um, you know, it's not just a change of mind. It's a, you know, spiritual turning about face. It's a, it's a turning from sin. So, you know, it sounds like a blatant contradiction uh, to me. I don't see how, you know, part of the problem that I'm seeing here, and uh, we'll get what you guys think about this, but I think what he's doing, and I think this is very common because, unfortunately, this threefold view of faith is is very prevalent in uh, evangelicalism. But I think what's going on here is that he's creating a psychological dichotomy between simple uh, simple belief, just simple belief, and and sin. Because what you have here is like when you use these analogies of turning from sin. When you're turning around, that sounds like a physical act. It's like a, you have to actually turn around, you know, and, and you hear a lot of these metaphors being said by people, you know. It's not enough to just uh, believe that the chair is there. You have to actually sit on it. You know, if Christ was your parachute, um, you can't just agree or, no, I'm sorry, if Christ is a parachute. Um, Ray Comfort has a famous analogy that he uses, you know, it, you can't just believe that the parachute will save you. You have to actually put it on. The problem with this, and I'm thankful for Clark uh, has done amazing work to to clarify uh, the biblical position on you know the biblical views of, of what saving faith actually is. Um, if you want if you want to know more about this, uh, please read his book, uh, what, uh, Faith and Saving Faith. It is an excellent treatise on the on the nature of faith. But well, so I'm getting a lot of the material there. Both of those Go books ahead. are combined in the book What Is Saving Faith, uh, found in the Trinity Foundation website. Right, Carlos. Both those. Right. So it was it was yes. initially two separate books, but if you if you want to check it out, it's What Is Saving Faith, 
and uh, we would we would definitely agree with that uh, with, with Clark's perspective. And like like you said, hopefully we can get into it next time. You know, Carlos, I, I had to step away because a uh, little situation that was happening outside my house. Did you already explain like the the what the threefold definition of faith is that the MacArthur's holding Notitia, census and fiducia? No. Um, okay. Well, so, yeah, so I mean, we, real quick, and, and we'll get into this next time. But what Carlos is talking about is that MacArthur actually holds, uh, which, which MacArthur, Washer, uh, Lawson, most people, Sproul, most people hold to a three threefold. What, what, what would you say it is? It's not a distinction, but a threefold definition of faith, which includes notitia, uh, knowledge, a census, assent, and fiducia, which is a uh, Trust. trust trust yeah trust yeah and so our view differs a little bit we hold uh with what uh gordon clark and john robbins and uh guys like sean garrity uh who, who all were presbyterians uh we hold to what they what they would view as as saving faith so that that's what carlos is talking about but carlos i wanted to ask you a quick question so you, you were saying that uh his view may it sounded like it may have contradicted. And I'm wondering if, because Clark points out that sin is first intellectual and then afterwards it's overt that, that sin always starts within the mind. And, uh, and I actually included that in, in an article that I wrote, uh, Christianity and logic. And I'm wondering if, if MacArthur really did contradict himself or it, in I mean, you're you're the one that read the book. You you have the book with you. Um, or is he saying that that uh, first it's inward and then it becomes outward? So so first the the mind is changed to believe in Christ and to uh, just just learning about what God loves and what God hates, and and then that becomes outward later. Is that I mean, is there is there a possibility that that might be what he's he's getting at, or are you saying that you you really do think that it's a contradiction? Yeah, if it's not a contradiction, I think it's at least uh, worded very poorly because it, he says initially he says repentance is an inward response, and he doesn't he doesn't qualify that. He just says it's an inward response, and then in this section he's saying that it's an it's not just a change of mind; it is a change of heart, and then he says it is an outward response. And that it's not external activity, but its fruit will be evident in the, in the true believer's behavior. So, what I'm what I'm getting at here, first of all, there's there's already a problem here. When he's saying it is not just a change of mind, it is a change of heart, and this is one thing that has been a major problem with 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 what is going on in the lordship controversy and with how people define faith. Because when we're talking about the heart and the mind, if you look, if you do an actual scriptural study of what the heart and the mind are you will find more often than not that those terms are synonymous because what the, the biblical term for heart, what it actually is, is it's, it's the inward, it's your true inward self. It's what you truly believe or who you truly are inside. And so when people, this is a huge problem in, in, in evangelicalism and even this has massive implications with how you understand faith and even how you share the gospel because what happens is that People tend to create this dichotomy between the head and the heart, and it, it's it's a false dichotomy because the Bible doesn't actually make that dichotomy itself. Um, there is no dichotomy. Just just yeah, some some, some scripture that came to mind. Um, 
in regards to that. So you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, in that verse alone, you already have a distinction between the two. Uh, in addition to that, in the parable of the sower, um, the, uh, the, the difference between um, the, uh, the, the first seed and the uh, other, or the first soil and the other three is the first soil did not understand. Uh, the main distinction between the last soil and the, and the first three is that it understood and accepted. Um, and you can see that, uh, that that's how Jesus explains its uh, difference, other than obviously it bears much fruit, 30, 50, and 100 fold. So you have one verse that, that says that even though it does treat them synonymously, it does um, divide them even in, in that verse by itself, uh, as well as in the parable of the soil, there being a difference between understanding and accepting. So th th there's a reason why people um, end up there, but, and, and it's from the scripture. Yeah, I know. I know that um, a lot of times there are scriptures that that suggest that or that they use separate terms in the same verse and or things like that. But well, at least on the latter thing, when understanding and uh, accepting as true, that is our view of faith. That is you. In other words, what our understanding of faith and the what we believe is a biblical teaching is that faith is just a matter of understanding something and accepting it as true. And so this third element, this fiducia element, this trust element, fiducia, by the way, just etymologically just means faith. So it's all, that's basically a tautology, and that's why so much confusion erects out of this, you know, third element that people try to add into faith. Um, but so on the, the, the thing about understanding, yeah, it's not enough to understand it. You have to actually agree with it. You know, I, I understand atheism. I understand um, uh, Darwinism. That doesn't mean I agree with it. So it's not enough to agree with it. You have to also uh, accept it as true. You have to uh, acquiesce to it or believe it. That's what we would say faith is. Now, for the other verses, and I know we're, we're probably not going to have time to, you know, to actually get into these passages and exegete them, but um, when the Bible uses a lot of terms like, you know, sanctif uh, you just quoted that one about your heart, soul, mind, and strength, a lot of those terms I would say are still synonymous. Um, it's it's uh, the Bible sometimes has a way of using the different terms for being emphatic about the same thing. So heart, mind, soul, I would say those are basically synonymous, uh, even strength to some extent. Like it's basically saying that you, obviously you should love the, the, the Lord with with your whole self. Um, and um, and there's also certain passages like uh, as to the whole, you know, do you believe whether we are dichotomous in nature or trichotomous? So do we have just a spirit and a body or do we have a spirit soul in a body? Because there's a verse that says, you know, that God would sanctify you, your hearts. Uh, what does it say? Your spirit, your soul and your body, something like that. And so people think that, well, we have a trichotomous distinction or we're made of three things, not just two. And so, um, but a lot of that is just a matter of exegesis and kind of getting into the text. So uh, that's what I would say. Now, that being said, though, I think there's an overwhelming, overwhelming amount of verses that that really strongly support the view that um, the heart. And I'm not saying that there is no distinction. There is a distinction between the heart and the mind. Um, but when, when the Bible, when you when you look at what the Bible describes the heart and I'm not the only person saying this and neither is Clark. Um, there's actually a well-known uh, Old Testament scholar. I forgot his name, but he's he's becoming more liberal, unfortunately. Um, there's an Old Testament, there's several Old Testament scholars actually, and Greek scholars, uh, one of them being, uh, Zo uh, what is his name? 
um, Zodi, uh, I, I think it's Zodiades. Yeah, Spiros Zodiades. He actually, and I, I don't have it with me, but we're going to get into more of that in the episode on faith. But there's several scholars that um, that acknowledge this, that the heart is really who you truly are on the inside. And when you look at when the Bible, uh, when you look at the contrast that the Bible makes, it doesn't contrast. Keep in mind what I'm saying. It does not contrast the head and the heart. It What it contrasts is the heart and the lips. It contrasts what you profess with what you actually believe on the inside. That is what the issue is. And that is why Christ said, these people are honor me with their lips. They profess to honor me, but yet their hearts are actually far from me. And that is the biblical contrast that we need to be emphasizing when we're talking about stuff like this. It's not the head and the heart. Um, because the head and the heart, that, that's almost like, really, biblically speaking, that's actually impossible to do because the heart is, is the, includes the, the head, quote unquote, it includes your mind. It is your mind. And that's why there's verses like out of the heart proceeds all of these wickedness and sins and thoughts. So, um, that's why I think, um, you know, this, this is where he starts kind of confusing things. And then he says it's an outward response, but it's not external activity. So now my question is, how do you say, how can you say that it's an outward response, but it's not external activity? I mean, what do you mean by that? An outward response, like, what, how, what falls into that category? That doesn't make any sense. You know, what, what do you guys think about that? Um, the, so if, if we're not careful, because I, I'm going to because I just started thinking of more things in regards to, to how faith is or works itself out or what it is. But, um, but I mean, the, the, if there's an inward change, there's going to be an outward response. I mean, so they're not, they're, they're separate in, in the, in the way that they, um, in the, like, you know, when something occurs, right. But, but they're not separate as a whole with, with, uh, with saving faith. Uh, so for him to say that there's going to be, um, an outward thing, I don't think, I think as long as we understand that it's not, um, or as long as we understand that it's a, is a necessary byproduct of of saving faith, and um, then that, that makes sense. That's just logical. It's going to happen, um, and then then it's not in contradiction. Um, I think that the the rest of how he describes himself. So we're gonna if we're gonna use all of his uh, written work in this uh, to apply to those sentences like we do with scripture. Um, then uh, then I think he's he's staying in line with what he's saying. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is that he is defining. Uh, what I see as the fruit of repentance with repentance itself. And I think um, when you say it's an outward response, the only, an outward response is basically a work. And that's why I think it's dangerous because when you say it's an outward response, it's uh, either, I don't know, I don't know what he's referring to, like uh, you laying on the floor and snotting or crying or, or some kind of outward manifestation. <laughs> and this is, this is what happens when people try to add this trust element and try to make it some kind of physical reaction or response to to what really is simple repentance as, as a change of mind. So I would actually say, and I'm not denying that there is no outward response. Obviously, there's an outward response that follows repentance. But I would not say that it is repentance itself because even passages with like uh, John the Baptist saying, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, yeah. right? The You know, there's an outworking that follows repentance. And that's the problem with the no lordship guys is that they say that, that fruit will not necessarily follow. Well, yes, it absolutely does biblically because um, repentance is preceded by regeneration. And yeah. so, um, 
Well, you've got a, the, the uh, when Jesus is talking about the uh, the fig tree that that's um, on two different occasions, uh, but the one I'm referring to is when um, the the parable when it hasn't produced any fruit, right? And then the the landowner is going to cut it down because it's basically taking up space. Um, that the that's the the it's it's a necessary part of it right so you right. know i wouldn't I, you know i would say that if i was if i was pointing to the leaves i'm pointing to the tree if i'm pointing to the branches i'm pointing to the tree if i'm pointing to the roots i'm pointing to the tree um it, it's an it's important to understand the difference between um what uh, the functions of the leaves and the roots and the branches are uh, but i can just as easily say i'm pointing to the tree uh, and all three and not say and, and not say that the roots are the leaves. And I think it's kind of what he's doing. So there might have been a more clear way of of uh, of saying it, but I don't think he's getting them mixed up. I just think that he's um, that like uh, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, if if we were you even going to use your your um, inclusion of those things as synonymous, uh, he might be speaking of them uh, synonymously, even though they do actually have they might may have different functions at times or be referenced different ways. Yeah. I think that's a danger here, and I think that's what um, a lot of the, the the criticisms have been, especially from the reform camp about with dealing with repentance, is that when you start defining it as some outward activity or external activity, or well, he's saying it's not external activity, but it's an out. So he knows MacArthur is very well aware of of the potential problem that that lies with saying that it's outward, because he's trying to say that it's not external activity, but it's still an outward response. Because the obvious danger there is that now you're adding something uh, like works or some kind of uh, some kind of um, but yeah, basically a work, something that you do, something that you're sort of responding to or or doing yourself as as what really should be a um, result of repentance. Um, so well, to, to be fair, we're we're told to to believe and we can't unless it's granted to us, right? So we're we're I mean even even in some ways we're commanded to works. Um, and, and, but we can't, we can't manifest those works apart from God's grace. Um, so like the, the, you know, that it was like the conversation, um, with, uh, with our, um, with that, with Peter, um, saying, you know, like, like if I said, uh, if somebody asked me, what must I do to be saved? And I said, repent and be baptized. Would you accuse me of works-based salvation? Um, and so, yeah. and so, and so, so, the, so what we can, um, so what we, we, we can't do is, uh, and I don't think this is what you're doing, but what we can't do is, is hold MacArthur to a higher standard than we hold like Peter. Um, and Peter just said that like, like repent and be baptized. That's what you must be doing to be saved. Um, so if, if he's, uh, if he's like, if he's kind of going back and forth between, uh, in the way he's explaining it in regards to, you know, um, you know, it being something that's outward, but you could, it could possibly be taken as a workspace salvation. Well, I mean, Peter's on the chopping block right along with him with repent and be baptized being the means of salvation. I mean, unfortunately, that passage is one that I think uh, some uh, some Lutherans go to to say, well, baptism is a, is a necessary part of salvation and that has a saving element to it uh, because Peter used those words um, to say that's what you must do to be saved and that baptism saves. Um, and so it's a, you know, he maybe... You know, if we're going to be that way with uh, with him on this text, I think we're in danger of uh, of criticizing Peter and and how he said people are saved in in the Bible. Yeah, and that's exactly why I brought up the, because there's there's a difference between a particular example of yeah. when the apostles preached a certain context in a certain in a specific context, but MacArthur here is trying to make this the universal definition. 
And so that's my, that is, I think, a lot more dangerous because when you, and this is why last time I brought the example of, I contrasted the thief and when Peter said to repent and be baptized. Mm. Because if I were, if I were in a similar situation today, let's say that we were on, on, on you know, in El Paso, we live by the Rio Grande. Uh, so if we were preaching the gospel by the Rio Grande and um, uh, people were coming to faith, I would say, or somebody asked me, what must I do to be saved? I would say, repent and be baptized. Why? Because there's a river right here and you just, you know, we can do it right away. And that I would have no problem saying that in that context, even now, um, just as the apostles preached in that context. Because now if, if in dealing with the thief on the cross, Jesus did not tell him to <laughs> repent and be baptized, obviously, for obvious reasons, right? I mean, yeah. there's obvious reasons. So um, I think a lot of this is coming into play with respect to the context. And, you know, and I actually wouldn't recommend getting baptized at the Rio Grande because people have drowned there. But <laughs> but it, it's the point is the, the point is just to say that um, <laughs> the point. The point is just to say that it's the point is obvious. I think you know it's it depends on the context, and you have to be very careful when you're trying to make particulars, and not to make those a universal um, the, the the defining aspect of it. So that that being so now that being said, I think we've we've kind of sort of covered at least what I wanted to cover about repentance with respect to um, now with respect to repentance. The reason I wanted to jump on assurance next was because. Assurance, I think, is relatively straightforward, and I don't think there's too much quarrel. At least, I didn't take too much take too much of an issue with MacArthur's uh, view of assurance. And I think I think this is where actually we're getting into a very crucial point into um, sort of bookend doctrines. I, I I like to call them bookend doctrines. And what I mean by that is that there there are doctrines that sort of uh, counterbalance each other in the Bible. Whereas if you, because if you, and this is brilliant, this is why I think Christianity, the, the God of the Bible is just amazing. He is incredibly amazing in how he has a built-in system of checks and balances in the Bible so that he actually lets you know, he gives you internal checks and balances to let you know that if you stress one thing too much over another, something else is going to give. Why? Because Christianity is a system of doctrine. And because of that, everything is related to itself. And so it's kind of like, it's with anything, right? I mean, you, you, um, if you, uh, I can't find a good analogy right now. Well, it's a, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting. Um, if you, it's, if you overemphasize something, you have a problem. And if you try to take the emphasis or the, the tension off of yeah. something, you have a problem. Um, they, they're, they're both there. They both need to stay there. And, and so, it's like it's like that that age old uh, saying, you know, if, if to to antinomians you should sound like a legalist, and to legalists you should sound like an antinomian. Um, it's a it, there's a there's a there's a tension that's always going to exist there, and I think we we get in trouble when we uh, when we don't emphasize something enough, or when we try to take the tension off something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think that's why one of the reasons that it's actually very helpful uh, to have confessions. Is to also that's another helpful corrective for for helping pastors to 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 realize, hey, you know, I've been harping on, you know, uh, church polity for a long time or church membership for a long time. I need to, I need to kind of balance myself out here and start focusing more on justification or on Christ's mediatorial office or on, you know, the end times. You know, that's why you know there's a very 
helpful practical reason for even having these confessions confessions in the first place because those are all means that we can use uh, as a church to 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 kind of help balance keep that balance and not go stray too far into one direction and end up compromising uh, on, and there, there's a sense in which there's an equal and opposite reaction when you start talking about these sort of bookend doctrines and one of these doctrines is that of assurance um, because actually all of these doctrines I have have bookend you know counterpoints because it's such a vital doctrine and and God made sure that you know he's gonna give you warning signs when when you start seeing certain warning signs as to somebody emphasizing a certain thing too much and so I think with respect to assurance, I think MacArthur did by and large get it right. Um, I think uh, I think the Lordship view, as far as I understand it, I think is by and large uh, correct as, as far as I was able to uh, discern. And um, I think it's unfortunate that um, one of the criticisms that uh, John Robbins leveled against MacArthur uh, about was, was on assurance. And... Um, uh, Robbins in his, you know, I don't know if I have the article here, but I think I do. Uh, and we're, we can get into it if I, I should have it here. But um, I think, uh, in, in fact, what I'll do first, I'm going to quote, I think I'm going to try to quote this passage here. But what I was saying is that I think, I think the, the Lordship view is basically, I think it's by and large correct on assurance. And I really, this is actually one thing that I really did appreciate on uh, in MacArthur's Gospel According to the Apostles, I think the assurance—I think the chapter on assurance was probably the best chapter. It was a very helpful chapter, even for me personally, because it kind of helped me to 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 balance out my view of it. And um, so I thought it was good. And the the reason I'm saying this was because he has a chapter. Uh, I forgot what the chapter is called. Let me find it really quickly. Um, it is called a foretaste of glory. And in that chapter, it's about assurance, and he he says that there is a there's there's essentially two extremes that you can fall into. There's an extreme that you can fall into by emphasizing too much the ob the objective promises of God solely for your assurance, and there's the other extreme where you try to focus too much on your own works or your own the own uh, your own uh, your own lifestyle solely for your assurance. And he says that there's a happy medium. You know, there's a balance between having those two positions to have the proper, full biblical uh, sense of assurance that the Bible gives us, and so I think that's a very helpful way to put it. I don't really, I think that's a, I think that's a very good summary, a very accurate summary of what the Bible teaches on assurance. Because, and John himself, and MacArthur has a very good discussion. He he has a, he does a very good job of handling the text with assurance. John himself presupposes that you, uh, you know, that you are. A believer obviously if you're not a believer you cannot test your works to see if you're saved because you don't even believe the gospel yet so obviously there we have to believe the gospel and believe God's Word in order to have that measure of assurance that that's a basic thing that's like a necessary precondition before you even start talking about works so and I think a helpful um, uh, verse that really summarizes this is when uh, I think it's Paul uh, I, I forget if he's admonishing Titus or Timothy to guard his life and his doctrine. And that's what we need to do as believers. We need to guard both. And the the the, the more fundamental uh, one of those is obviously doctrine, because if your doctrine is wrong, then the works don't really matter. Uh, you need to have make sure that the doctrine is 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 in line first and foremost. 
uh, before you even get into the discussion about works. Now, once the doctrine is settled, once you know, you know, you agree, you understand the gospel, you agree with it, you're you're good on that. The other issue becomes um, this is where people start to divert on 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 and criticize MacArthur on assurance because how much of our works or or, or if should we even look to our works for uh, having assurance and um, people say that there's a slippery slope there because if you fall if you start trying to measure your works you're gonna you're never gonna have any assurance because you're, you're just relying on your works and um, I think that's uh, completely contrary to what the Bible says especially you know places like first John and especially first John that, that's why first John was written right that first John 513 I think says that he uh, the Apostle John wrote these things so that you may know that you have eternal life and so one of those things that he points out as sort of a spiritual checklist, a, a sort of self-evaluation is this. I'm going to read 1 John 2, 3 through 6 and 9 through 10 and 29. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. I could just stop there and settle the whole thing. I mean, that pretty much settles the whole thing right there. No, if you that, say that, that, that when be you're plainer. preaching, you're a heretic. So just be careful. Yeah, right. Um, that's, that's funny because... A lot of people will say, like, I mean, that completely, that totally refutes people who say that you should not be looking at your lifestyle or your works. You obviously do. Now, I think the problem that people, the concern that people have, and I think this is a legitimate concern, is that obviously our works are not our own. You know, they are our own in the sense that we do them, but the only reason we do them is because God gives us the ability to do them in the first place. And I know, you know, Joseph, you've pointed out this before. And uh, I'm sure all of us probably have already, but that's the distinction that you have to make. You're not you're not doing these works in order to uh, in order to know that you're saved or to or to try to make sure that you're saved. You're doing these works as an outward form of you know as a gratitude because you want to please God as your heavenly Father and so on and so forth. And the the works will not their fruit. You're gonna be you will obviously bear fruit if you are regenerated, if you are a new creation in Christ, and if you are a uh, um, if you have repented and all of that will just it will naturally follow because God's spirit will now be in you And so I'm just gonna keep reading because I mean Real there, quick, There's really nothing you can say against it. Go ahead. I, I just want to give a thought um, And so even in that like even in looking to your works for for any assurance It would never be looking to your works for full assurance I think if you look at your works um, and your inability to, to do them perfectly you will see you'll be constantly reminded of your need for Christ and you will not see your works as sufficient. Um, it's a, it, I think it's, a, I think looking at, you know, you'll keep his commandments. Um, and uh, even in doing that, you'll, 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 you won't do it perfectly. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll, you have a, you can, you could pray and that he's uh, faithful to forgive you um, of your sins. Um, I think in doing that, it reminds us uh, of our need as well as gives us assurance in the meantime. Yeah. Right. Um, this isn't this is and there's another internal check and balances in the Bible because if you say that you have no sin then you're a liar the first John itself also says that so obviously and it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us so if you say you have no sin you're not saved I mean you're just you don't understand the gospel you just don't so obviously we're still going to sin but the but the that does not deny the fact that we will actively grow in grace and and uh, continually uh, progressively uh, 
uh, be conformed to God's uh, will and laws according to the to the Bible. So, all right. So I haven't been talking that much. Um, I have a an issue outside of my house right now with uh, man. There's this huge block party and and people are like peeing in people's driveways. And so I went out there to uh, confront some people about peeing in in uh, my driveway and my neighbor's driveway. This is ridiculous. Uh, so we're we're recording this on a Friday night, and uh, so. Here, here's what I'm going to do. I, I got to go sit by my window because now I'm afraid of retaliation uh, because I told people not to pee outside. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to hand this over to you guys. I'm going to uh, just have to bow out right now and uh, just make sure we've had people break into cars uh, this last week. Uh, and, and it's funny because, you'd think I live in a terrible neighborhood and, and I, I really don't like the, the people around my neighborhood. They're, they're really good people. There's just this one house and it's a party house. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to you guys, Carlos, uh, just uh, send me a text. Let me know when you guys wrap things up and uh, I'll, I'll have to catch you guys next time. Uh, but I'm, I'm sorry about that. Sure. No problem. Um, hopefully things get resolved there. Take care, take care of your family. Um, yeah, I, I really do because uh, it's it, what, what already happened was uh, a number of people have called the cops and there was some car that was driving up and down with the bass super, super loud. It was rattling the windows, the, the garage door, and uh, and it woke up the baby. So a lot of neighbors are, are really upset about that. So uh, anyways, I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for doing this. And... Um, just Carlos, just send me a text when you're done. Sure. All right. Bye. Okay. All right. So moving, carrying on about uh, this thing here. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you cannot deny that you have that you don't have sin. You can't say that you don't have sin. Uh, you you cannot. You are not a Christian if you do not think you have sin. So I'm sorry for people who think that Donald Trump is a Christian. If he still thinks that he he what did he say? He made a comment about that, right? That. He doesn't. He thinks he doesn't. He never asks God for forgiveness. He thinks he's fine or something like that. He doesn't have. Um, I think he's basically said he doesn't have anything he needs to ask some forgiveness for. Um, yeah. But then you, that, you have. You know. I mean, that, but that also touches on even in in the, in actual theological camps, uh, they're bad theology, but they're um, uh, the sinless perfectionist camps. Uh, people like Jesse Morrell, um, and so forth. So um, we we have people that that call themselves Christians that go out there and do evangelism um that that are sinless perfectionists or think that you need to that you can you know that touches that just touches on a whole lot of heresies but um you know they're they'll either pelagian semi-pelagian you know they they believe you can lose your salvation um you know as as easily as you lose your car keys so um the the, the john john just destroys that the the verb there um is if I remember correctly is a present tense so it's almost like as if to say if you say you are not having any sin um then uh then you're a liar or you call god a liar um so um, just to yeah home a little bit harder yeah and i'm just going to keep reading because this really i can't say there's no need to to improve on this so continuing the, with the verse <clears throat> it, he who says i know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word truly the love of god is perfected in him by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to also to walk 
just as he walked. As uh, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone, oh, that he being Christ, that if you know that he, that is Christ, is righteous, you know that everyone who practice righteousness, who practices righteousness is born of him. That could not be any plainer. That That's plain as day. The point here is that you have to look at your works in order to have the full measure of biblical assurance that the Bible says you should examine yourself by, by uh, you know, by. And so um, these people who say, like, we can't, we, we can't rely, we shouldn't look to our works. And unfortunately, you know, um, I was reading, there's a very good article on the Trinity Foundation by uh, John Robbins, who is now, he, I think he, he's, he passed away sometime in 2008, I think. But um, he has a very good critique. He does a very good job, a good job of critiquing uh, MacArthur's position and some of his earlier errors when they were still kind of fresh. Um, but, but I think unfortunately he, he kind of, he represents the camp that goes a little too far in, in almost equating assurance with faith itself. And that's a big problem because, um, in, in, uh, whenever you, you do that, and, and it's kind of funny because the, the, the confessions themselves make that explicit distinction. They actually say that it's not the same as that assurance is not the same as faith. And, uh, MacArthur even quotes that in his chapter on assurance. So, um, well, that's interesting look, because that, that was one of the, that, that was almost kind of the error, um, or at least it gets really close to the error of the, uh, the sovereign grace side, um, the, the doctrinal sovereign grace side, where they're saying, no, if you understand these things, if you believe these things, then you're saved. Um, and, and if you look to works at all, you know, and so it's almost, a, it's not, it's, it's not the same, but it's really, really close to, to the, um, to the, their, their error. Um, oh, it's, 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 unfortunately, um, if you, if you're holding to just faith, just faith is the insurance you're heading towards Gnosticism. Uh, right. There's, there's a very clear bookend counterpoint balance that we're trying to bring out here in the Bible, because that's the reason why James and the apostle Paul, for example, have those different emphases because there's different elements that you have to consider when you're talking about, and again, we're going back to the whole thing about heart and mind and as opposed to heart and lips, because that's the whole issue behind James. The entire issue of James is saying, if a man says he has faith, but has no works, it's somebody who is professing to believe, but they are showing they're betraying themselves by their lack of works. They don't evidence true faith because if they did, the work of God would be working in them to and that's not to say it's going to be a per, per, instantly perfect you know there's there's so many extremes that we can that people have gone into with as a failure as a result of failing to balance these two pivotal uh doctrines in the bible that um i, I actually and there's another extreme too that there's people who say that if you have no assurance that that you're not even saved so there's a, there's so, there's a, so many different extremes. I remember hearing John Hagee preaching that uh, years ago when I was still kind of when I actually liked him before you know. But this was before I found out that he wrote a book about explaining that Jesus was did not come to be the Messiah. Um, but 
um, yeah, there, there's people like that too who say that if you don't have no assurance and you're not even saved, how can you how can you lack assurance? Well, um, it's actually very uh, just look at you can look at the testimony, the people's lives in the Bible. I mean, not everybody has the same Christian experiences, and, and this is what people need to recognize: not to make their own experience with in their own walk with God the 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 end all and be all. And I used to do this too when I was immature. In the faith, I, I used to think like, man, if you did not have a radical, a, a, a an exact date and time that you could point to and say, look, this is I was a godless heathen, and on, but after this day, God, I was just like black and white, night and day, completely transformed. It, I mean, it was more than obvious, and I had a similar, I had experience like that, but that was because I grew up in the Catholic Church and I was, I was in dark. <clears throat> excuse me. I was in darkness, and so um, that's that's the reason why not everybody grows up in the same context. I mean, there's people who grow up in very sound Christian homes who who can't exactly point, pinpoint a time when they got saved because they already grew up in that in the faith, and they've already been admonished to believe and to and to and to follow in that in in the footsteps of their parents and of the Bible. So um, I think that that's that definitely. Is an influencing factor with people get going into extremes, and I think the confession, the Westminster, the Westminster Confession, is very helpful. In chapter eighteen, section three, it says that this infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith. Um, and MacArthur gives a little historical background about how Calvin. He he says that Calvin kind of thought that the initial uh, that initially assurance is a part of faith because how could you sort of how could you believe that you have eternal life and not, you know, and not think that you're actually, and not have assurance of that. Um, so, you know, I guess I wouldn't really, I, I wouldn't really disagree with that, even though Calvin himself also did say that uh, belief in the saving faith is believing, uh, simply understanding and accepting as true the gospel promises of God. But, um, well, I mean, there's a there's a measure of that even built into how we how we define uh, where works come from, right? Because we do them not as if to save ourselves, but out of a gratefulness. Uh, well, if you're not, right. uh, if you, you know, I I think I went through a, like a, something of a dark point um, uh, relatively early on um, because you know I, I I went from you know not not to get into the details of my uh, life before conversion. Um, uh, you know, I would look at myself or even mistakes that would make sense then, right? I had absolutely no worth and no, no value. And I would, I would look at myself and I, I finally got to the point one day where I just decided it's like, here, here's, you know, you know, talking to myself. It's like, even if I'm, even if I'm not, um, uh, I'm not, if I'm not chosen, right? Um, then, then I have to do everything to glorify God because he's God. And so none of this, so, so, so yeah. basically so that, so none of that, whether, whether or not I am, I have to be obedient unto God and, and, and do that. And, and so th that was my way of dealing with it at that time. Um, and, and I still hold to that. I think everybody should give God glory regardless of what, uh, as what their status is with God, because he's God. But, um, but the, the, that's the, you know, the, I, I did the things because of who, not not only what God has done, right? Not only out of gratefulness, uh, but but knowing who God is. But the the thing is, is and and this is the the comforting part is I wouldn't know those things had not God made me able to. 
uh, through the uh, guiding of the Holy Spirit, and that way I have assurance again. Um, and so it's a it's interesting how it plays out in, in everybody's um, heart or mind or however you want to want to put those. Um, it's uh, because, uh, like you were saying in a moment ago, your experiences uh, in dealing with the struggles with those things are not mine. Um, right. The and my and my experiences with that and the way I dealt with it uh, internally is not the litmus test for other people's uh, salvation or sanctification. Yeah, and yeah, it's very common, especially with evangelicals, like conservative evangelicals, like even Todd Friel. I remember I have his um I have some of his his uh, DVDs and his the, some of the stuff that he he uh he has like a like a a, rec- a collection of MP3 recordings where he of him discussing the gospel or sharing the gospel with others. And in one of those encounters, he actually he's he's challenging a person, a professing believer. And he says, can you point to the exact date and time when you believed? I mean, you remember being in a car accident. I mean, how could you not remember the day that God saved you? You know, and so and maybe in that context, it might have been appropriate because she was a very like I think the, the, the person he was talking to really did not look like she she had a a very uh, she had a very unbiblical understanding from what it seemed of, of being a christian but we have to be careful I, not I, to do that yeah, go ahead. Know, no i just want to say there's a way that i say that so then that way i can say that what i think is true and and not necessarily judge somebody's uh, eternity is uh, the way i say it is by all evidences they are not saved so by all ev- evidence i have uh, they have no salvation they don't know christ it's probably the easiest way to put that without just putting them in the box uh, for god um yeah, I mean, yeah, right. I think that that can be good. I mean, but if I know somebody, and if I know somebody's not saved, I have no, you know, they're not yeah, saved. Like, there's I see no. What you're saying. It's it's a matter of it's a matter of yeah. You have to be careful about how much you actually know the person and things like that. And at least from from it, it was pretty clear that she was not yeah. a believer based on what her, her response was and things like that. Um, but yeah, and then, and people. The, the Bible's the Bible's less forgiving than we are in regards to declaring somebody not a believer. Um, it's, it's oh yeah, right. We, we, we absolutely we can actually make these distinctions and point these things out with with confidence because what the Bible teaches a Christian is. Uh, but our but our uh, our culture, um, you know, it's almost like uh, not not just uh, on a church level, but uh, but in general, it's like ecumenical and inclusive in nature. Um, is so much so that if, uh, if a person speaks out to us to another person's salvation, even if it's from a point of concern, they're automatically condemned as someone who is uh, playing God and is the judge, even though all you would have to do is point to Scripture and to say, this is what Scripture says about these people, um, and, and this is what these people do, and that person is doing what these people do, so why are we confused about this? So it's, it's really interesting. It's a whole different topic, though. Precisely. You know, yeah, it's a different topic, but it's it's very relevant to this discussion because you also get into the question about examining ourselves and if we're even able to do that and can we do that properly you know because i know a lot of people will say it's this is a very common sort of uh theological uh true i don't know what you call it like a like a truism or a uh what do you call those things like a maxim or a a proverb basically um we, we people say i can't judge people's hearts and it's like, well, um, honestly, I don't think that's biblical because you can judge people's hearts by their works, by their fruit. And that's what the Bible says. Yeah. Out of the heart proceeds 
wicked, you know, the, their out heart of the mouth, will, out, of, out of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, you know, and that's why the Christ and the apostles did this repeatedly. They, they affirmed they, without hesitation, they affirmed believers as believers and they, and they affirmed the uh, unbelievers as unbelievers. They had no problem labeling, labeling them as such because the Bible gives us a, gives us a clear criteria for knowing and judging whether he's a true believer. Otherwise, you couldn't even follow certain commands, like marrying a believer. In order to marry a believer, you have to judge them to be a believer. And, well, and actually, I, I think you what know, we've so, done, though, or, or culturally, what we've done to deal with that is we've lowered the bar. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's so inevitable. Lot, you know, we, know we, we, yeah. we, we say they married a believer, but, but by what evidences are we, are we saying that? You know, like exactly. the, you know, it, it works both ways. There's evidences for and against, uh, positive and negative, uh, for faith. There's ones that work. Like if I, you know, if you walk in darkness, being the negative, um, you know, you'll keep his commandments is the positive. Um, and this, and this works itself all the way throughout. You know, Jesus said, "Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say?" Or, you know, not all who cry Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. And then calls the ones who don't come in lawless. Um, and so. Yeah. And so you have you have these on both sides, and what we what we tend to do, and I think I think even especially in our culture with that is, is we just focus on as long as they're not doing the negative ones, and they say they believe they're a Christian, um, and then that's yeah. how, and, and that's the, the, and we're not willing to apply all of Scripture uh, to it, um, in out of out of maybe uh, a fear, but um, but I think that that is uh, in, in some ways I think that's sinful. Um, it's just, but it's. But man, I think, or, 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 you know, it's like people don't want to, you know, it's the tension, right? Uh, people want to reduce the tension. They don't want to have to deal with the tension of making a mistake there. Um, but I, I've always, I've, I've advocate of, I'd rather uh, be overly cautious in regards to uh, my understanding of somebody else actually being saved uh, than under cautious. Because if I'm under cautious and don't respond, then they go to, you know, not as if it's up to me, right? But, uh, but, but we still live in, in this world and have to make decisions. So if, it, you know, if I don't say anything, they go to hell. And if I, um, and if I do say something and they're saved, they'll receive it well. Um, cause that's what the Bible yeah. says. That's what the Bible says. The Bible right. says they'll forgive you. They'll love you. And so I, I, I believe the Bible and I'm going to go correct them and, and say, this is what the Bible says about this. And if they love God and his commandments, they'll, they'll receive it well. Uh, or and if they don't right away, they'll eventually forgive me. <laughs> You know, maybe not to my face. Maybe I'll never see it, but but in their heart they will, and because that's what the scripture says. But we don't ever approach people with that, uh, and I think uh, it's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I wanna, I'm gonna read. I was looking for this quote and I found it, so I'm gonna read this from John Robbins's article um, on the Gospel according to John MacArthur, because I think this is gonna help um, us to sort of like sum all of this up. So he says on page 190, uh, I, think it's the, I think he's quoting the gospel according to Jesus, the original one. On page 190, MacArthur attacks Zane Hodges' assertion that the assurance of the believer rests squarely on the direct promises of God in which this offer of salvation is made and nothing else. It follows from this, says MacArthur, that the assertion that a believer must find his assurance in his works is a grave and fundamental theological error. So, and then, end of quote, MacArthur wants us to base our assurance on our works, but that is not the error of, but is that not the error of those condemned to hell in Matthew 7, 21? 
this is this is Robbins critiquing MacArthur. Um, they did not look to the promise of salvation. They did not appeal to the facts of 1 Corinthians 15, and they appealed to their works for their assurance of salvation. And they were very assured. The record suggests that they were dumbfounded when Christ commanded them to depart to everlasting punishment. Furthermore, if one is candid, he can never be assured by looking at his works, for they are filthy rags. We are all unprofitable servants. Luther realized this, and the Reformation was born. Jesus Christ alone is our righteousness, and the believer's assurance of salvation comes from Christ's righteousness alone and the promises of God, not from the believer's works. Again, the Westminster Confession states the biblical position on assurance. The assurance of faith is founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God. Furthermore, says the confession, the duties of obedience are not the ground of our assurance, but the proper fruits of assurance. MacArthur gets the relationship between works and assurance backward, just as he gets the relationship between faith and works backward. Whatever good works Christians do, they do because they are they are already assured, not in order to be assured. So this is what I was referring to with Robbins and how, unfortunately, it sounds like he's equating assurance with faith here because he's saying that, look, the reason these people in Matthew 7 were condemned was because they, they were using their own works as assurance of their salvation. But the problem there is that they were using their works as righteousness, as self-righteousness. And that's not why we have, uh, obviously, that's not what saves us. What saves us is, is faith alone in Christ alone and in the promises of God. But the problem, and even the, I think, unfortunately, he just doesn't give a balanced view of the confession even. And he, has, he was a Presbyterian. Um, and, uh, but well, I think he misinterpreted that text, too. I mean, so they weren't looking to, uh, their, I mean, I think you said it. I'm going to say it maybe just a little bit differently. They, they weren't looking to their, to their faith, uh, or I'm sorry, to their works as an as a assurance for salvation, but as a means to it. Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. Was, well, yeah. and because of that, those means they were assured, but they were assured by the wrong means. So, yes. yeah, right. That's a that's a good point. Um, yeah. And I think, unfortunately, he conflated that and kind of ran with it. And he even kind of ignores the the very clear, not just biblical distinction, but doctrinal distinction that the Westminster Confession makes that I just read, that infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith. So we have to distinguish assurance from faith. And because they are not the same, that is also why the Bible clearly commands us to, in order to have assurance, we have to look at our works. We The, the passages are blatantly clear. You cannot trust in the promises of God alone in order to have assurance. We trust in the promises of God alone, in the gospel alone, for faith to be saved. But in order to have assurance... We have to look at our lifestyle and the pattern of our lifestyle to see if God is really working in our lives. It's not to know that it's not so that we can justify ourselves. Obviously, that's a fundamental distinction, but it's also an important distinction because you inevitably have to look at your works, at your lifestyle to have the full biblical assurance that the Bible commands us to have. And, and, and it's a blessing that not all, unfortunately not all Christians enjoy this. You know, even in the Bible, you see this there. Not everybody had the same Christian experience or the same experience. You know, like uh, Elijah rode in, ch in chariots of fire to heaven, you know. Um, but how did Jeremiah I, I go on doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but, you know, 
but but Jeremiah, he 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 died in he died despondent. I mean, the guy was pretty depressed the whole time. You know, it's just unfortunate that like, you know, we have to be careful with experiences and not to judge um, ours as the sole, you know, yeah. correct one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Psalm fifty-one, uh, twelve. You know, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Um, you know, there, there's there's uh, you know. Exactly. And give me a willing spirit. It's a, it's a, it's a cry to God for having, having been, you know, been disobedient, uh, that God would, would forgive him and give him that, 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 that feeling, you know, some of that being, that being a, that, that assurance, that, that, that the heart that he, he, that he desires to have that he knows he can't accomplish on his own. And he knows he needs to cry out to God for, and this is, this is a believer. This is David, um, writing the Psalms guided by the Holy spirit, not the first one he wrote. Um, uh, that uh, that that is that is crying out in this way, um, and so it's a it's kind of interesting because like the, you know it's a that, that's where um, you know having a having a strong strong understanding of uh, of a grasp of all of Scripture, realizing that the uh, the New Testament is is refining the the arguments made in the old in a lot of ways or or just reusing them um, uh, to to know what all of Scripture has to say about this verse to really understand it um and and where people go off track because they uh may be heavy in one area and then deficit in the other and, and not not just an emphasis but but the root of that problem isn't just the emphasis it's the understanding um ending based on the imbalance uh um grasp of the whole of scripture yeah um I, right i think this is a good way to sum this up and then i want to conclude with talking a little bit about rewards but um it's i i really do like the way macarthur uh his chat that's a very good chapter i would um uh i want to kind of just sum it up the way he did there's a subjective aspect of um assurance and there's an objective aspect because you have to examine yourself and in order to examine yourself you have to obviously um look at yourself your lifestyle your life and your doctrine not just your doctrine the other thing is that um even the uh, and i want to quote this as well even the canons of dort uh, this is this is a dutch reformed traditional uh, confession that uh that uh in the first head article 12 it says this about assurance the elect in due time though in various degrees and in different measures attain the assurance of this eternal of this their eternal and unchangeable election not by inquisitively prying into the secret and deep things of God, but by observing in themselves with a spiritual joy and holy pleasure the infallible fruits of election pointed out in the word of God, such as a true faith in Christ, a filial fear, a godly sorrow for sin, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness, etc. So even even that, even the reform the reform tradition does acknowledge that you have to there is an inward retrospection and an inward examination of your character and of your lifestyle it's it's inevitable you have to do that in order to be fully assured biblically and um so that being said now uh with because with this ties into something very important that robbins also pointed out here that that i'm going to take issue with as well he says furthermore if one is candid he can never be assured by looking at his works for they are filthy rags we are all unprofitable servants. Luther realizes, and the Reformation was born. This is a another 
of this just opens a can of worms into a whole nother bookend doctrine set of doctrines because now we're talking about the the, the sinner and saint this dichotomy right the, the the simul justus et peccator which means simultaneously just uh, and uh, a sinner and so you have the very strong element in the reformed tradition unfortunately with respect to looking at our works as as unprofitable and as filthy rags because unfortunately those passages are not talking about unbelievers i mean believers they're talking about unbelievers all of their righteous deeds are filthy rags because they don't believe they have not been regenerated and therefore everything they do is filthy because they themselves are polluted uh and corrupt from sin by by adam's fall and, and nature and so this is very and and actually on facebook this kind of some people uh level this criticism against me that i'm too much some you know I've, and i've heard this more than once that i'm being too much of a performance-based christian and things like that and you see this in people like Tully and chavidian as well and uh, and uh, this characterizes lutheran as a whole as uh, in, in uh, as well because in the Lutheran tradition, it's basically very pessimistic about the Christian walk, the Christian life. It has a very pessimistic outlook because we're just a bunch of filthy, wretched sinners, and all we do is filthy rags, and the only righteousness that we have is the righteousness of Christ. And that causes a very dangerous lack of balance between these pivotal, again, extremely important counterpoint doctrines. Well, it's, it almost it almost lends to if if not if not uh, if not careful to a form of antinomianism because the expectation is so low. I mean, you you would almost you have to uh, ignore that part on Sermon on the Mount where he says, "Practice your righteousness before others, so that you they may give glory to God." Um, right. So so I mean it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a, so so it it takes away the need to, to do the good things and and the and the weight of doing the bad things. Um, um, by saying all the things you do are bad when Jesus says, go and do the good things, um, you know, and, and, and in that passage, he's not making it explicit that he is the means in which you do those things. Um, but, but that still being the command. And so we can do uh, righteous deeds. He, we're expected to uh, before others too, so that God may get glory. Um, but, um, but obviously uh, that comes only from faith to whom or from whom, which uh, Christ is the author and perfecter of. So, yeah, you know, and I want to, we're going to start wrapping it up here, but I want to, I would highly, I want everybody, all of our listeners to do this. And I hope that I really, really recommend that everybody do this. Listen to a sermon by Paul Washer called having too low a view of regeneration. That sermon will change your life. If you've kind of, if you've kind of have this view of, 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 you know, I'm just a wretched sinner. I can never do anything. You know, I, I'm all my works are filthy rags. And another thing to do is read, um, read. Oh, what is his name? I forgot his name. But the book is called Justification and Regeneration. Um, it's. Do you know his name? I forget his name. Um, it's. Uh, gosh, who is it by? I can't remember the name. But Charles, it, it's, uh, Charles Leiter. Yes, yes, Charles Leiter. Right. Um, that's an excellent book on that topic, and he has an exposition of Romans 7 as well in an appendix that I also highly recommend that you check out. He has also sermons on, on you know, of, of expository explanation of Romans 7 because I actually take the view 
that Romans 7 is not about believers. Uh, MacArthur does take the view that it's about believers, but I would say that it's a pre-conversion uh, experience that he's describing. Um, we, should, we, but, should do, but, we should take some time to disagree on that at some point. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. That, but the, the, point, the, the point being is that um, when we are regenerated, we are actually regenerated. We are no longer filthy sinners who produce filthy rags. We are transformed. We are new creations in Christ, and we are washed and regenerated. For you to say that you're that you just have filthy rags and that see this is this is where the balancing point comes in in the Bible because God you're you're actually undermining God's power because if you say all my works are filthy rags I'm just a wretched sinner then you are completely undermining the work that God has already done in you if you are truly saved because if you are truly saved then you will produce good fruit because God has made you a good tree and so you cannot say that you, you're there's a very sharp uh, that's one of those points check. of tension we were talking about because you i mean you've got like paul say you know uh you know when he talks when he uses in the present tense you know um you know being the chief of sinners you know be uh, of sinners of which i am uh, present tense uh chief um and he's talking about this as he's writing uh you know the book uh, we and we know he's a believer at that time and so it's the tension on, on, on both sides of it. You know, there, there's a, we, we, you know, and, and even in first John, if you say you, ha you have no sin, if you say you are not having sin, um, then you're, a, then you call God a liar. Um, and so, right. and so we, the, 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 are we, do we still sin? Are we still sinners uh, in, in so much that we sin, um, you know, being defined by that, that part of it? Yeah, of course, because we don't stop sinning uh, until we get to glory. Um, are we regenerate? Are we expected to do good work? Should we not be sinning as much or should we be moving in the right direction? Absolutely, because that's what regeneration causes. Um, and 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 unfortunately, well, on this side of glory, both are true and we would just wish it was one of them. Yeah, um, this is opening so many more issues that I would love <laughs> to, to dig into because, yeah, you know, we, with this now we're getting into really a, a natural out, outward flow of, of what these issues stem from because we're getting into Romans 7, we're getting into the Christian life, we're getting into um, our nature and how we should view ourselves as believers. And, you know, I'm going to do this because um, if you see what the Bible says about things like this, um, I'm going to read some verses from, from I'm going to read, uh, here's 2 John 1, 4. It says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received the commandment to do from the Father. So right there, John flatly said that he was rejoicing because believers are walking in the truth just as they were commanded from the Father. So they were actually obeying God's commands. I have a newsflash for you people who think that all you, you're just a wretched sinner. You can actually, if you truly are saved, you can actually keep God's commands. Not perfectly. I'm not saying that you can keep them perfectly and completely and, and, and perpetually. Okay? But you can actually, since because you have been transformed, you have been given the ability, the desire, and the ability to actually uh, begin to fulfill uh, God's will and God's commands. And for you to deny that is you are actually denying and undermining God himself and the power that God that God has when he transforms a sinner into a saint
my my only other parting thought with folks that you know on this issue um, oh let me let me finish reading a few more verses that I have here third John 1 and 4 I have no greater joy than this than to hear my, my of my children walking in the truth again uh, and first Peter 1 13 through 16 therefore prepare your minds for action keep sober in spirit fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, again, and I wanted to bring this up because this is the biblical picture that God gives of a saint. What is what, what we... It's not just a, a, a forensic transfer or a forensic transfer of righteousness that we receive from Christ. That is what saves us. But also there is an actual transformation that takes place, which is called regeneration. And so you're undermining regeneration when you say that you cannot uh, obey God's law at all or that all your works are filthy rags because they're not. You know, there's a famous saying that is attributed to Luther for saying that we're just snow covered dung. And I'm sorry, but that's not true. We are not just covered with the snow of quite of Christ's pure white righteousness. God has washed us so that we are no longer covered in dung. We are transformed as saints. And if you look at the biblical emphasis, just look at the biblical emphasis. It is overly emphatic. If we're going to overemphasize something, we should overemphasize this, that we are not sinners anymore. God remembers our sins no more. And if you... and all throughout the Bible, you will see far more the emphasis on being the fact that we have much more now. We have received forgiveness from God. We are growing in grace. We are transformed, renewed, washed, regenerated, all of those things. And not only that, even in the passage that you quoted, that people love to quote to say that I'm the chief of sinners. Paul said that in the present tense. But even then, if you look at that passage, he was saying that apart, obviously, apart from Christ, he is the chief of sinners because we all are. We're all sinners apart from Christ. But what does he say before, both before and after that verse? He sandwiches that verse by saying, but I received mercy, past tense, okay? And before and after, the emphasis, the biblical emphasis is always on the fact that, okay, you were a sinner, now you're a saint, now you can obey, therefore obey to the best of your abilities, grow in sanctification, and so on and so forth. So that's my parting uh, word, uh, Joseph. Your concluding thoughts. Um, well, I'm not. I'm not going to take the opportunity to, to get the last word on on that, even though I, we we I think we we part ways on that uh, on the some of the interpretation there, which is fine for now. Um, that, uh, but but I think that the you know, if nothing else, we, we've done a good job of uh, of of showing one of the reasons why, at least in, in modern evangelical America, um, how, uh, how it blew up so much that he wrote this first book, uh, the gospel according to Jesus and that the, the Lordship salvation, although not, you know, perfect work, cause it's not the scripture. Um, it was, it was, a uh, it was why it was so impactful. Um, and because of what it touched on and the implications are from everything else. Um, you know, the, the idea of, you know, primary and secondary doctrines, when we realize that all secondary doctrines touch primary doctrines. Um, and so it's a, 
it's a it's interesting i think it's a it's it's a worthwhile endeavor to work through it um regardless of what your stance is on it regardless of whether or not you think it's necessary because you know for for you know the, the some of the people they would say well you know it's not a reformed topic um topic um it's a topic that uh that that the apostles fought with um and first john being a really good example of it although it's taken different names throughout history so um so i know i just think it's a it's i'm glad that we you know it's unfortunate that the person that we started the conversation with and why this got brought up the way it did um but i think it's very it's a it's a fruitful uh endeavor to uh to work through um the uh i mean what, even with how macarthur kind of broke it down the the actual um uh, nature of saving faith um i think that that we should um we should all wrestle with that. I think we should we should get to understand it better, not just so we can know things more, but appreciate um, the gift that God has given us um, that we couldn't have accomplished on our own. So I, I, I and I appreciate your, your the time you spent going through uh, the gospel according to the apostles. I was I was unable to get my hands on a copy, but read it before we spoke because I would have liked to, but. Um, well, we could have this conversation all over again, possibly when the gospel according to Paul comes out. So um, we'll see how that works itself out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This this is a very, very relevant right now. It's very much being brought to the forefront once again. And so um, and you completely ruined my conclusion by saying that you disagreed. I, 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 I thought you were going to I actually thought you, you weren't going to take issue with what I said. But no, that's that's definitely going to be the subject for another discussion. I know that yeah. I didn't really get into I didn't really get the chance to ex kind of explain a lot of what I said, but it's a debate. It's a debated topic. I, I don't think that you're that you're that you're horrible for picking the other side of that. I just think that both of us think the other person misunderstands it, which is fine, um, and that's okay. Yeah, um, um, I, I will. I will just say this: that you know, what I what I and I don't think you'll disagree with this. So maybe this is a better way to conclude. Um, but th but this is an important point that I wanted to make. When the Bible describes us as believers, it describes us as God's children. Now, you have kids. I have kids. Um, how, when we view our kids, <coughs> excuse me. So when we, do you, do you take pleasure when your kids uh, obey you? Of course I do. Of course, obviously, right? Yeah. That's not that's it goes without saying. I get I I'm delighted when my when my children obey me. Um, now, what happens when they disobey you? Does that displease you? Yeah, and I punish them just like it exactly, exactly. And that is exactly how God wants us to view His relationship with Him. Just as we feel delighted and how we take pleasure when our children obey us, and just as we get uh, uh, fallen to have a fatherly displeasure that I think that the confession says that uses that terminology we can fall into uh, uh, God's fatherly displeasure meaning that he will discipline and and rebuke us because if he doesn't then that means that we're actually not his we're bastards we're spiritual bastards still yeah. meaning yeah. that we are unbelievers if, if you're not uh, being, yes. exactly uh, that, so, so, no, so, so to correct what I said because I basically said I disagree with you let me let me clarify um, I don't think we disagree at all on the implications of, uh, of being adopted as uh, as children of God, um, e even a little bit. And I don't think we do. I, I think that I, I really like what you had to say about what Luther said in regards to I don't I don't think that we're just a, um, a snow covered dunk. Um, I don't think we disagree on any of those yeah. things. 
was really just talking specifically about where you landed on with that specific piece of text, um, not about the overall implications yeah, of everything yeah, else. I, know. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. I, I know. I know. Yeah. The, so we're going to, there's a lot more time that we need to dedicate to flesh all of this stuff out. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think we covered a lot of ground here and um, I hope that it was beneficial for everyone listening. Um, again, I recommend people to, to read, read the sources, read John Robbins's article, the gospel according to John MacArthur, read, listen to Paul Washer's sermon on, on having to low view of regeneration and and read Charles Leiter's book justification and regeneration that's a lot of homework but it will be well worth your time because this has so many uh, consequences for your view as for us as believers and uh, but uh, so we thank you please uh, keep uh, everything <laughs> I just lost my train of thought um, you. I'll, I'll finish it up you know so uh, uh, so if you if you have any feedback you want to give to us, um, uh, email us. And uh, and when I finish talking, Carlos will tell you what it is because I forgot. Um, the uh, keep uh, Gary in your prayers because he had uh, he had some family stuff that he was uh, that he was dealing with. And and please just um, just keep us in your prayers as we're as we're doing this because all of this is for the glory of God and, and uh, we want to, to do that in all these things. What's the email? Exactly. Address? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, semper.reformanda.radio at gmail.com. So thank you all, and you have a blessed day.